Hello, I'm Hope. And I'm Isabel, and you're listening to Far Beyond. The podcast where we delve into enigmatic stories from the past. Welcome back, everyone. We are here yet again. Yes. Isabel, how are you doing on this lovely Tuesday morning? I'm doing good on this lovely Tuesday morning. It's very hot in New York City, so I'm sweating a little bit, but other than that, it's great. (laughs) It's all beautiful. Yes. Small talk, weather talk. It's very cold and uh, dreary here in South Dakota. Full-on May weather. Dreary in the old SD. Yes, yes, yes. Um, life has been magical, everyone. There's been many developments in the lives of your enigmatic hosts here. We've done lots of lots of good things, traveling on the horizon, research on the horizon. We've Always. been dedicating our time to research in the dark tomes of dusty libraries. Mm-hmm. I'm in the catacombs of New York City underneath Manhattan. I crawl through an old subway car and reach my secret library. The sacrifices we make for Far Beyond are just... (laughs) We go to extreme lengths to bring you the facts. The facts. And nothing but facts. (laughs) Nothing but facts. And speaking of facts, we will be talking about fairy tales today. (laughs) Again, we have this beautiful cadence where... Every other episode is either a conspiracy theory or a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. So I will be the host today talking about a girl with very, very, very long hair, Isabel. Ooh. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yes? You're talking yes, about yes. me? Just joking. <laughs> yes. Actually, Isabel has amazing um, fairy tale hair, but we will be talking about Rapunzel. Rapunzel, let down your hair. Oh, and. I want to dig into the history of this magical story. Now, most modern-day listeners probably identify Rapunzel with Tangled, the Disney movie, and some slightly more fairy tale oriented people would remember it from the Grimm stories, which is probably what you read when you were little or had your parents read to you. So we will look at the story of Rapunzel today, but from its earliest modern appearance as a literary fairy tale that was not German, it was actually maybe Persian, written in 1000 CE, or Italian. So Isabel mentioned this in her Hansel and Gretel story, but there is a collection of fairy tales that was written by Gian Battista Basile that's kind of like the Italian version of the Brothers Grimm collection. It means the tale of tales. And I think it has about 50 tales in it, and they're all very strange, very bizarre. And a lot of people have taken inspiration from that. And um, what we call Rapunzel today is German, that's correct. But Battista Basile wrote in 1634 a story very similar called Petrocinella. And what's funny is that the Grimm's didn't even go directly to the Batista source because Basile was rewritten by the French writer Charlotte Rose de Camant de la Force in 1698 in the French court. So there's been quite a telephone game from the original story that may have been Persian, may have been Italian, then French, then eventually German. So even though the Grimm's talked about 
their collection of stories being very German, they're actually kind of oftentimes appropriated from bigger tapestries of tales that go all around the world and originated in multiple places at multiple times. But I wanted to tell the story of Petrusinella because it's Italian, so it's going to be a little bit different than Rapunzel. So let's sit back and fall into the dusty pages of Basile's Pentamaroni, written in 1636. Once upon a time, a woman named Pascadozia was standing at a window which looked out into a garden of an ogress, and she saw a bed of parsley for which she took such a longing she was on the point of fading away. Which I think we've all been in that spot where, you know, you just see some parsley growing and you're like, you know what? I've really been craving. I really want some, some parsley. Some parsley, yeah. And actually, like, parsley, I think that I think that it means, like, the etymology of parsley in Greek means rock celery, which is, like, basically <laughs> what it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, parsley is, like, usually a garnish. It's not that, not that tasty. But anyways, um, Pascadozia, being unable to resist, she plucks a handful, thinking the ogress won't notice. But, of course, the ogress did, and in her rage said, Ill luck to me, but I'll catch this long-fingered roe and make him repent it, and teach him to his cost that everyone should eat out of his own platter and not meddle with other folks' cups. So I think that probably translated a little bit better in Italian, yes. but that, that's how they translated it. And the ogress secretly watched until Pascadozia came to take more parsley. Then the ogress caught her, and screaming for her life, Pascadozia said that it wasn't greed that led her to steal the parsley, but rather the devil. <sighs> because that she said devil she, always I wants know, parsley. It's not my fault. It's not my fault I took the money. Because she said that if she didn't eat the plant, her child would grow up with parsley sprouting out of its face. This was the threat that the devil supposedly made to Pascadozia. So she was, Ooh, she was forced. I mean, yeah. it's a very real fear for many mothers. Like they still that was such a thing in the day, day, you know? Yeah, yeah, parsley face. Yeah, the classic baby born with plant hair dilemma. If you don't do what the devil says, like we can all relate to I that. Know. That's so really scary. Mm-hmm. In that third trimester. <laughs> It's a risk we all run. Plant hair. Pascadozia then said the ogress ought to thank her for not having given her sore eyes, which was really strange. But also, it is strange because in Naples, in that time, it was a belief that if a person didn't fulfill the wish of a pregnant woman, they would develop a disease of the eye as punishment. Like, that was folklore. Like, if you didn't do what a pregnant woman said, you would develop sore eyes. Um, Yeah, very interesting. (laughs) So, but the ogress doesn't care about these things and demands the child. Pascadonia in fear promises, but when her daughter is born, she can't bear to give her up and names her Petrosinella, or Little Parsley, which is kind of strange because it's like you're admitting to your crime by yeah. naming your daughter, like, Little this is Parsley. the bank I robbed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Wells Petrosinella. Fargo. <laughs> exactly. Wells Fargo. The heist days back in 95. That's how I saved up for your college fund, honey. Petrosinella stayed with her mom until she was seven, and then she began attending school. And each day on the way to school, she passed by the ogress who whispered to her, Tell your mother to remember her promise. So Petrosinella, being innocent and young, did. She repeated these words each day on her arrival home until Pascadozia was so annoyed that she said to her daughter, 
If you meet that old woman again and she reminds you of the hateful promise, answer her, take it. And this is kind of strange that the mom didn't move and she makes her young daughter walk past the ogress who threatened to steal her daughter years ago. And then when her daughter, yeah, when her daughter comes home and tells her some random woman is telling her to remember her promise, the mother doesn't make the connection that maybe her daughter is calling the ogress an old woman because the ogress probably looks like an old woman. So there were some mistakes made, but let's leave it at that. Yeah. Let's try not to be too analytical. So anyways, the mother, Pascadosia, is increasingly annoyed, and she says to her daughter, if you meet the old woman again and she reminds you of this promise, answer her, take it. And so innocently next time she met the ogress and she said take it to her, that allowed the ogress to seize little Petrosinella by the hair and carry her off into the woods. And this story is very poetic. So some of the lines kind of relate to like zodiac and they just have beautiful adjectives. So to give you an idea of how dark and treacherous these woods that Petrosinella was swifted off to, I quoted from the original story. The ogress carried Petrosinella off to a wood which the horses of the sun never entered, not having paid the toll to the pastures of those shades just just like i know i'm like whoa dude so funny whoa okay petrosinella is locked in a tower where she leans her head out and lets her golden hair fall every day until a wandering prince sees it and they converse and send air kisses and compliments for a few days until they finally (laughs) decide to meet in person at night when the moon plays hide and seek with the stars I, lo- I love <laughs> let's meet I when like the moon that. plays. That's really I cute. know, right? Hide and seek Hide with and the seek. stars. So Petrosinella, not being quite as innocent as like a seven-year-old would normally be because we don't really know how much time has passed, but doesn't seem like that much so i'm hoping she's older than seven she gives she gives the ogress some poppy juice to make her sleep and helps the prince climb up so (laughs) i'm just immediately like wow okay good thinking then and so the next morning before the sun taught his steeds to leap through the hoop of the zodiac the prince went home so like before the sun taught his steeds to leap to the hoop of the zodiac is like a fancy way of saying dawn or morning time. But I'm yeah, just like, I'm right? going to start saying okay. that. Like, this is so beautiful. Um, so the prince is gone. I'll meet you for coffee after the... After the sun teaches his steeds to leap through the hoop of the zodiac. Through the hoop of the zodiac. What? Let's meet at 830. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sadly, the ogress had a gossip who just waited around in the woods for her um, and told her of the prince. <laughs> the ogress is kind of like, kind of a little b-word. The ogress was not yeah, too worried about so Petrosinella leaving as she was under a spell that made it impossible for her to leave the tower unless she was holding three gallnuts. But just like the ogress had a gossip, Petrosinella was listening in on this conversation That was very gossipy. So luckily, she overheard and she told the prince to bring three gallnuts. And that night, they escaped. But as soon as the gossip saw, she shouted to wake the ogress, who woke up and sprinted after the lovers with lightning speed. Just, like, gets into her tracksuit. All right. In desperation, Petrosinella threw a gallnut at the ogress, and it turned into a Corsican bulldog who went to attack the ogress. But being crafty, she pulled out a piece of bread and distracted the dog. 
So a Corsican bulldog is I, I googled it. It's like a bigger version of an English bulldog. There was there were Spanish Great. like fighting dogs. So a gallnut turned into that, but the ogress had a piece of bread. So she throws the bread oh. and the fighting dog goes for the slice of bread versus the ogress. Astonished, Petrosinella threw another gallnut and it transformed into a lion that opened its jaws as it looked to the ogress. But, yet again, the ogress outsmarted the gallnut. She ran into a field and stripped the skin off of a donkey and put it over herself. Then, turning back to the charging lion, she faced it. And, fearing that it was a real jackass at face, the lion was so frightened that he bounded away. <laughs> Why would a lion be scared of a donkey? Well, because donkeys are sometimes jackasses. I might need to bleep this. And those are scary. Like, they do not move. We can just... They do not move. I guess yeah, it's an I animal. Guess, yeah, so and they're bigger. Yeah, so apparently in Italy... <laughs> I guess it's an animal. I guess I could say In this context, I could say it. Um, this will be the X-rated. So I, I think that um, donkeys are very um, powerful animals that we do not give enough credit to in the modern credit age. To. They. I would think that lions are taking down all sorts of... No... Yeah, I guess not alone. No, so a lion can eat a water buffalo. Um, they can attack zebras, but a donkey don't even no don't even way. go there. But maybe maybe it was like that's actually their worst. Maybe fear. it was a yeah. lion from the Wizard of Oz who lacked courage, and so he couldn't face anything. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so actually, the Wizard of Oz was actually Inspired taken from the Pentamerone as well. Yeah. Yeah. The dots connect. From Little Celery. What's her name? Little Rock Celery. Little Rock Celery. We'll write a children's book about it, an updated version. Oh, and Dorothy comes in later. No, just kidding. So, anywho, the ogress is wearing this skin, right? So she's very terrifying, and somehow she managed to skin a donkey before the lion could get to her and adorn it. Um... And so she yeah. keeps wearing it, and she follows Petro, Sinella, and the prince, and they start to hear her, her running after them. And in a desperate last effort, Petro and Sinella threw the final gallnut. To the couple's luck, the ogres had forgotten to take the donkey skin off, and as the third gallnut turned to a wolf, it mistook the ogress for prey and ate her. And they lived happily ever after. So wolves are okay with donkeys. But not lions. Not lions. Yeah, definitely not lions. So, um... God, lions suck. I know, right? So if you're, like, in the woods or whatever, definitely don't wear a donkey skin. But if you're in, like, the savannah, wear one. It just depends on your environment. You have to be smart with different predators. Yeah, you need to just, like, research what kind of prey is around you. Always. Gosh, you know, I really yeah. wonder what would what type of skin would scare a wolf off. Like two mm. donkey skins? Maybe, yeah. I don't think they could take two. <laughs> just just compound the uh, the skins. So anywho, um, she was Ew. eaten by the wolf, much like in Little Red Riding Hood. So there are a couple mm-hmm. of very strange occurrences and themes, Isabel, as I'm sure you've picked up on. And perhaps the most interesting was the devil excuse that was used in the beginning. Uh, I hadn't heard that in the Grimm's version. And then the threat of an eye disease being placed upon anyone who didn't obey yeah. a pregnant woman that's kind of cool it would be fun to be pregnant back in the renaissance in italy because people would just have to yeah that would be fun yeah 
They'd be so scared for their eyes. And then, I don't know if anyone out there has seen the act or is familiar with Munchausen by proxy syndrome where moms... Have you heard of that? Yeah. yeah. So you kind of know what that is, where moms try to make their, like, child sick and lock them away so they can never leave. The ogress kind of reminded me of that, where she's like, no, cloister. It is a little bit. Cloister in your tower. Yeah. Munchausen by proxy. Yeah. So, anywho, there are a few differences in the grim retelling the husband steals, not the wife, and it's Rapunzel in the Grimm, not Parsley. And so Rapunzel is a plant called Rampion, and it's a type of purple bellflower, not an herb like Parsley, but people did grow it for its spinach-like leaves and the roots, which were really similar to parsnips or radishes in Europe. So it was like kind of a popular staple food source, and I thought that was interesting that the Grimm brothers took the story and were like, I know how to make it original and make it link back we'll change to German the, heritage. Yeah. We'll change the main name. Change the leafy green they're eating. Good yeah. job. Good job. We should like rewrite the Twilight series. They'll never figure it out. <laughs> we just rewrite like Twilight or Harry Potter and just switch the name. Or we just change yes, the name. Exactly. Instead of Edward, it's Fabio. Edward. Yeah. Fabio, yeah, we make it Italian. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then in the Grimm's version, it was a sorceress, not an ogress. Um, and she took Rapunzel right when she was born. She didn't wait seven years. And she lived mm. with her, and then she locked her in a tower when she was 12. So Rapunzel had kind of like a normal upbringing with the evil sorceress lady. So that part was very, very strange. And in the end of the Grimm version, the witch finds out that um, Rapunzel is pregnant and as punishment, she cuts her hair off and sends her into the wild. And she uses the hair to trick the prince. One day he comes and she just throws the hair down and pulls the prince up. And he, she tells the prince that Rapunzel is dead. And then he jumps out of the tower and lands in thorns and scratches his eyes out like in his grief. So oh, Rapunzel yeah. is wandering the woods without um, without food, and she's pregnant. She gives birth to twins and is very destitute. And meanwhile, the prince is somewhere else in the woods, blind, wandering around. Without eyes. Yes. Yeah. So he finds her, and she cries out of joy into his eyes, and he's healed. And they live happily ever after with their twins. So, so that's, that's how it ends in the Grimm version. There's no gall nut or, like, mad chase through the forest or anything like that. Through the forest. Yes. And so also the whole pregnancy thing, too, they really toned that down, the Grimm's did. They did a publication in 1812 where there are some references to the pregnancy, and then in 1857 where it's really toned down because they wanted to make it more you know like okay more pg for little children and everything Mm -hmm. so it's it's um yeah it's kind of interesting the things that they chose to take and the things that they chose to keep the same because the story is genuinely really really similar now if you remember the game of literary telephone that i was talking about i said this is, was a Persian story, then Basile took it for the Pentamarone, but there was something else that happened before the Grimm's got a hold of it, and we have to travel to France to find that out, To Oh, here we yes, go. Yes, yes, to a group of aristocratic females in the court of King Louis XIV. 
So if you guys remember France in this era, there were very, very rich, noble people who had lives onto themselves. They were so, um, I guess, well kept that they were kind of out of touch with the rest of society, hence the whole revolution and that sort of stuff. But for entertainment, women started to tell fairy tales. And fairies were very, very unique to French literature. They weren't necessarily German at all. So what happened was in this retelling, they bring a fairy in instead of an ogress. So we're looking at this story from Basile's version. We have the ogress and then we move to the French influence of Charlotte de la Force. And this lady was amazing. You're going to love her. She was a scandalous member of the court of King Louis XIV. And she was maid of honor to the queen, but lived a passionate life of love affairs whilst publishing in pious fairy tales meant to entertain the aristocracy. Charlotte pushed her privilege a bit too far one day when she married a man far younger than herself. And his family found out and had the marriage annulled. And Charlotte was sent off to a convent. And it was behind. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Even though the marriage was like, like he wanted to get married too. But, you know, it's like, well, that's not politically correct. So you guys are actually not married and you're and a witch, off Charlotte. To a convent. Yes, yeah. off to a convent. And it was behind these walls that LaForce wrote Parslanette. And at its core, <laughs> Parslanette is a story about forbidden desire, whether that be for parsley or a prince. And it no doubt was inspired by the Italian Pentamarone version. LaForce used the same motifs of the tower and the punishments in the fairy tale as stepping stones for an updated story that reflected her life as an aristocratic heiress in 17th century France. Because, especially for women at the time, even though they had lots of money, very, very rich, they didn't have any freedom either. So yeah. she did push the envelope and was sent to a prison, basically. So, anywho, she treated it like an artist residency and was very creative and continued to publish her beautiful, beautiful stories. So, the story of Rapunzel still contains the walled-off gardens, food restrictions by the powerful, and punishments that far outweigh the original crime, much like this lady's life. All elements that LaForce um, included were very, very familiar to her. She had seen plenty of illegitimate children taken from the mothers to be hidden in convents to avoid scandals in the French court. And when Parslanette mm. is expelled from the tower in the story by the fairy after she herself becomes pregnant, LaForce was also referencing how many women who were friends were kicked out of their jobs or homes after becoming illicitly pregnant. So, also, this story does have Parslanette, who is not noble, marry the prince, which is a rare occurrence when a commoner marries royalty, but LaForce herself lived through this, because, as I mentioned, she was friends with the queen, but that friend of hers was Madame de Maintenon, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and she secretly married King Louis Fourteenth. And so this further grounded Parslanette in reality, this fairy tale in reality, because LaForce had gone through this. One of her friends became a noblewoman, like not only noble, but the queen of France at the time. So her life yeah. was a fairy tale in and of itself. So the Grimm's were apparently unaware that their Rapunzel was basically a carbon copy of Parslanette. But since the name changed little else um, in their 1812 publication, they didn't do 
too much about you know giving other people credit giving other people all. credit yeah yes because they did change some details in their additions uh like changing the fairy or the ogress into a sorceress they said that that was much more german the core is still so so similar to these original stories but let's go back to the real life origins. So we've kind of covered these, you know, literary adaptations mm-hmm. of different cultures of Rapunzel. But there's actually a story slash legend that borders between fantasy slash religious allegory that I want to tell you about. Um, and the real life origin of Rapunzel was based on a saint, an actual saint. And I say that with with air quotes because you know you never know with sainthood if the miracle actually occurred or if it's a little bit of embellishing but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the story of Saint Barbara so just kind of suspend any disbelief and pretend like I am a history professor reading um, history as it occurred in the real world (sighs) okay Once upon a time, there was a rich merchant named Dioscorus who lived in 1275 CE. Dioscorus was a very rich merchant and as such heavily relied upon his public reputation, meaning he didn't want anyone associated with him to ruffle any feathers. Sadly for Dioscorus, he had a daughter named Barbara who wanted to go against the status quo, which at that time was paganism. So this is like kind of during the switch over from like Roman gods to Christianity. So as Barbara grew, she became very beautiful and men began to court after her at a young age. Her father made a rule that these suitors had to go through an interview process with him in order to meet Barbara. She rebelled and said she had free will to choose her own husband and refused to talk to any of the men her father sent. Frustrated, Dioscorus threw money at the problem and locked Barbara in her own tower where she could not leave. So when her father left on his many business trips out of town, he could rest easy knowing that his daughter was safely locked away in her own personal tower. Kind of envisioned Shrek. Yeah, I was about to say, did Shrek steal the story? Exactly. So only villagers were able to bring her food, which he hoisted up with a basket in order to live. And I don't know any more about the logistics because also I'm thinking water and like bathing and other stuff. But the story doesn't go into that. So the only contact that she has is through these baskets that villagers bring her. At this time, Christianity was a cult. And one day someone put a book in Barbara's basket that explained what Christianity was. So even though Romans were trying to suppress Christianity, Barbara found the messages in the book enlightening and comforting. The next day, Barbara saw men working on the tower, and out of pity, they let her climb down. She asked them to put three windows on the tower to represent the Holy Trinity, but they refused out of fear of her father. In a rage, Barbara ran around Dioscorus' grounds, destroying his pagan idols, because the Bible said they were a sin. After this, Barbara had the workers find her a priest who, under the disguise of a doctor, baptized her. So she was officially Christian now. Once you're baptized, you're, you're in. Yeah, exactly. So all this time, Dioscorus was out on his business trip and was shocked upon his return. All his altars were destroyed and his daughter had joined an illegal religion. It's not a super fun reality to come home to, guys. So he simply threw his hands up. He tried. He built a tower. He was trying to get her to follow the old ways. And he took Barbara over to the authorities. 
and um, it escalates from here. So prepare for some torture scenes. He drug her by her long hair, and in court, Barbara said she answered only to God, after which she was cut with knives and salt and burned. When oh. she was close to death, Dioscorus brandished his sword and chopped her head off, and they lived happily ever after. Aww. <laughs> That's um that's not funny. But what actually happened um because she she <laughs> well, she became a a martyr for the Eastern Orthodox Church because of her like devotion yeah. to Christianity, but since you can't be a saint without performing at least one miracle while you're alive, uh the Christian retelling has Barbara magically fly away just before her head is chopped off. Um so that's how she's a saint. Gotcha. Just in case you were wondering. But where is her long hair in this well, story? There's not Does that she much. get drugged by it, right? She does, but it's not long enough to climb. <laughs> not long enough and there, to climb. And there's no prints or anything. Only for so, dragging. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a little bit hesitant to say that this is the true story that, like, inspired it. I mean, it did happen before the Pentamaroni was written and everything, so maybe. But um, there's just not quite enough. There's not quite yeah. enough. Um, and like I said, there was a Persian epic written around 1000 CE called the Book of Kings. And in this Romeo and Juliet story, two lovers are locked in separate towers and the girl has shimmering hair that's so long it tangled, it like fell to the bottom of her tower, but it wasn't used as a rope. So that might have been one of the earlier examples of a girl with hair that is so weirdly long like that. Yeah. Is that Persian example. long. It's, yeah, because that part is just genuinely strange, the long hair thing. That motif doesn't show up very often. There's lots of towers throughout fairy tales and legends, but the long hair mm-hmm. um, is, is a little bit creepy, honestly, just a little bit, and very encumbering. It's almost like a handicap. What I don't yeah, know honestly. in, because think about running from the ogress in the Italian version. How could you, I'm just like, is she carrying like the pounds of, of hair or is it trailing behind her? Like, mm. like a cape. Because, I mean, think about that. Think about having 30 meters of hair. Did she have hair. 30 meters of hair in the Pentamaroni version? Well, it's long enough to be a rope. So I'm going to say, yeah. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna to assume the tower is pretty tall. Like, what's the average tower height? To, like, actually mm. be a good tower. Yeah, it's a good... 30 meters, at least, 30. I'd say. Yeah. 30 meters. So that's a lot of hair. That's something that it kind of brushes over. So not quite sure about that. But I did want to talk about the psychoanalytic interpretation of the tale. Because this is sort of interesting. Everybody loves Freud, whether or not the id, ego, super ego thing is real or not. I'm just going to do like a brief reminder. So the psychoanalytic interpretation is basically how the elements, like the people in the story, relate to aspects of human personality. And whether or not this is true, it's always fun to dive into it. Yeah. So this model of psychology believes in the id, which is the childish part of your brain. It's the thing that wants candy and it wants it now and it will not be rational. The superego is the moral law-abiding side of you that like knows what is right and what is wrong. And then the ego is the thing that balances those two out. It tries to compromise between what you want and what society says is the right thing. So those tri-elements are kind of what is used to 
analyze the story of Rapunzel. So if you're looking at it through the psychoanalytic lens, it becomes a story of desire, achievement, and loss. The trio of the husband, wife, and witch become the ego, id, and superego that govern the behavior towards a beautiful object of desire, which is Rapunzel. The desire for an offspring in the beginning and the wife's greed represents the ig, or the animalistic side of the mind, to which the ego tries to satisfy, um, which is the husband, and becomes the mediator between the wife and the ogress. And the ogress would be the superego and um, is the thing that fights against the stealing of the Rapunzel itself. It's a strict unbending side of the brain. And you think about how the sorceress or ogress locks Petrosinella and Rapunzel in their towers, tries to keep them isolated and perfect. It's very like totalitarian, very strict, very didactic, clinical. That's I when I read that I was like, yeah, the witch does kind of she is unbending and doesn't really have any fun and is just sort of like evil and not not that cool. So the man and the woman, the id and the ego living in a small house represent the mind. The small house itself is like the brain and then the id and the ego are the husband and wife. They are bargaining with the witch, which is the superego and who is outside and represents the laws and rules to which our minds and passions and desires must abide by. So the husband and wife produce a child who becomes a commodity, and the rest of the story of Rapunzel becomes about the struggle between the superego and the id to settle ownership of this prize, which is very, you know, kind of like wishy-washy and... Um, a little a little bit deep and it's definitely a stretch but I can I can see being able to apply the idea of this prize being like your passion or your goal in life because I feel like everybody kind of has whatever that dream is and we try to follow that dream whatever that childhood passion was but then we learn we have to balance it with society's expectations of what you should be doing whether this be you need to get a house you need to pay taxes you need to not murder mm -hmm. someone you need to eat broccoli, et cetera, et cetera, with like, Always you know, those. your your freedom and what you really, really want in life in order to achieve that sort of prize or whatever it is. So I enjoyed that interpretation of um, Rapunzel herself as the thing that is like guarded and mm -hmm. um, yeah, the thing that like represents a goal or something beautiful because I feel like it's the one interpretation that actually kind of like respects her if that makes sense because I feel like she's sort of abused in like all of these interpretations yeah I mean definitely she gets kidnapped and then locked in a tower and mm -hmm. and so do you have any issue with the fact that it seems in this story that there is yet another evil witch and you could even say too because the mom does bargain her child away for a plant like she yeah. makes that promise and then also the ogress steals Rapunzel as well and locks her away like do you think that that's something that's indicative of you know the cultures the renaissance cultures that were you know the ones writing these stories or do you think that's just something that's embedded within humanity it's the like idea the story of the evil of sorceress the, the evil sorceress yeah I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a staple in fairy tales. It's always interesting how, like, the, like, even in this sense of, like, the ogress and the witch, it's always weirdly still a maternal figure. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? 
Oh yeah, like 100%. it's still because also why would you want a child really? Like not not like in that sense, but I feel oh, like, like if why you're did, like yeah. a sorceress going around, I'm like that's the prize you want. I mean, uh, other than just being like, hey, this Evil. is for taking my parsley. I'm gonna take your kid now. Yeah. You know, it's like another mouth to feed. You're like you a witch living a in a tower. Mm-hmm. It seems yeah. like a lot of work. Well, that's I why know. I wanted to bring up that Munchausen by proxy thing. Because you're right. It's irrational to want to take care of a 7 slash 12 year old child. You know what I mean? Or it's to really, steal a baby. No, it's even like there's a musical called Into the Woods. And it's like, <gasps> yes. yeah, and it's a whole bunch of that. But in the, there, there's a song and the witch sings it to Rapunzel and she's just like begging her not to leave basically because it's really weird but it makes you like really feel for the witch and like the story of Rapunzel and she's just saying the whole time like don't you know like what's out there in the woods like it's really scary stay with me like that's basically the whole song is her being like stay with me and that's the thing is I'm like yeah a lot of times these like evil tropes it's like the evil stepmother, the evil sorcerer. It's still being a weirdly maternal figure that just doesn't want their child to leave. It's yeah, so it weird. Yeah, and makes motherhood evil and controlling. Yeah, kind of. But then also you could easily spin it nowadays into something where it's like maybe the sorceress was right because the reality for Rapunzel outside of the tower is like you know motherhood itself and servitude and like just having to like have children and not having as many rights as she would if she just cloistered and stayed away from the world in a weird way um so and something else I do wonder as well is like I wonder if there's some sort of you know like like reference to like not druidry but just the passing down of knowledge if that makes sense where mm-hmm. like the the sorceress slash ogress wants to keep rapunzel in order to like perpetuate the cycle in a way yeah if that makes sense um and she because because it does seem her. it does seem very like the life that she makes rapunzel live goes back to that like lafore situation where the tower represents a cloister or a nunnery and it is kind of free from sin. Like, it reminds me of what priestesses had to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like they didn't have, they studied, they didn't have contact with with males. Like, it was a very uh, cloistered life. And it was a very religious life. So, in a way, it's kind of like the evil sorceress ogress is a nun or is, like, like keeping Rapunzel safe. Yeah, from this world that's kind of rough, especially for women, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at St. Barbara, St. Barbara, she was kept in a tower by her father who was like, I'm going to keep you away from, like, the evilness of, like, this illegal religion and men. He was hiding her from suitors and he Mm -hmm. was hiding her from, like, what he thought was bad about Christianity. And LaForce was punished for being an adulteress and she was sent to a place where she could no longer be an adulteress locked in a tower so it's like these like these places where women, women have to like remain isolated away yeah yeah that seems to be one of the most important motifs like it seems like it over that is the there. yeah that's the one motif that keeps being repeated as women being isolated yeah yeah away. exactly because like a tower or a 
mostly towers but <laughs> yeah most, mostly towers because like they're tall and stuff there are no dragons sadly in any of these but I do think that's interesting because when you think Rapunzel I think of the hair before mm-hmm. I think of the tower but no, after too. looking at all of these it's like not all of the variations have the hair even no. the real life story it's not about the hair guys it's not about the hair it's, it's not about, about the, the hair it's about the tower remember yes. that ladies <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna say that is the most like important motif for yeah. Rapunzel, and insofar as inspiration, because this isn't necessarily like a mystery episode of Far Beyond where we're like, who do you think wrote the Voynich manuscript, yeah. or why do you think Roanoke people disappeared? It's not like that. It's kind of like, what do you think the integral element of Rapunzel is? Because you go into it super innocent when you're a kid and then you get to like look into the story a little bit more and think about what it means to you as you're an adult. Yeah, and what it means in terms of like the time it was written in and -hmm. like the circumstances that would inspire fables like this and Yeah. Yeah, you can see like how pertinent it is to people like the French countess. Yeah, exactly, which was basically living living that story. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, let us know, you guys. This has been a enchanted episode for sure. I feel like I have to go back and watch Tangled. I don't know if there's been a live-action Rapunzel ever. I don't think so. I think that would be one of the better live-action ones. I know, I know. Because you you wouldn't even have to use CGI on the hair. You could just, like tie some wigs together oh yeah very cool yeah totally maybe we'll make it as the ball do we have i think we have i think we have the budget yeah yeah we'll 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 produce it we'll we'll partner with warner bros they've been in our inbox already so it's about time we yeah they've reached out a couple times yeah so keep an eye out for that um it'll be in theaters uh, around 20 what do you think 2025 yeah i think easy yeah okay yeah for sure we'll see you guys at the premiere And let us know what your thoughts are. Yeah, keep your eye out for witches, people. And we will see you for our next episode, which will be the finale episode. The finale episode of season season one. one. Woohoo. We made it, guys. All right, talk to you later. Bye, Bye, Isabel.